Coming soon to a theater near you, it's The Equalizers, a weekly podcast where two idiots drop a cinema sibling in the lap of a perfectly content solo film. My name is Mike Knoll, and I am joined, as always, by the sequel to my prequel, Madison Jones. Madison Jones, are you in good form? Ugh. 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 <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry, Mike. I'm trying to get this gum off my shoe. <sighs> you know that's not why they're called gum shoes, though, right? Hey, don't peck and paw at me, Mike. I don't. I guess I don't get that one. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> That's great. Cause, I mean, peck and paw. No, what is that? Um, it's it's a it's a it's a detective thing. <laughs> uh, cool. Why do I feel like you just googled detective things for this intro? Um, maybe. Well, peck and paw was like a filmmaker, so he G- great another classic introduction. He did like the Wild Bunch. Um, he, he really, I guess he did more Westerns, so. God damn it, Madison. You literally had two jobs for today, and that was to bring a liquid and have an introduction. He did The Cheap Detective, and The Cheap Detective is the other detective movie that Peter Falk is in. I mean, also, his entire career is Columbo. Yeah. Arguably, the thing he's more famous for. Yeah, probably. Probably better than this movie. Speaking of this movie... Who boy? <laughs> I one thing I will say I had seen uh, Murder by Death, which is of course the movie that Maya from last episode challenged us to watch, and um, I'd seen the cover of it a few times recently online, and really just thought it was a Columbo movie because on the cover the biggest picture is Peter Falk in a trench coat and like a trilby hat, which is basically what Columbo wore. Yeah, and so I just was like, oh, that's a Columbo movie, and I never thought anything of I it didn't, until I watched this. Finally, I didn't look into it. Um, did this become before Columbo? Was this made before Columbo? Because he's kind of doing like a parody of Columbo, sort of, or like not really, but like it's the original Columbo show ran from seventy one to seventy eight. So it's like high, uh, like right in the middle. So yeah, so it was like intentional. Yeah, it's peak Columbo. They picked Peter Falk because of Columbo, and I mean, his character, Sam Diamond, who is a playoff of Sam Spade from the Maltese Falcon, is pretty much just a slick Columbo. Is that right, Mr. Wang? Well, maybe not for you, seeing as how you put all your money into vegetables back in the late 30s. Maybe our friends here don't know that you own over 50% of the bean sprouts and the bamboo shoots grown on the Chinese mainland. Among other things. Yeah, there are other things about this this movie uh, that Maya like definitely warned us about. But Yikesarama, mm-hmm. Peter Sellers yeah. doing the most offensive caricature of a, uh, a Chinese American. Yeah, it's it is rough. I mean, Sidney Wang, who is a playoff of Charlie Chan, was <sighs> like I, I went in expecting it to be bad, and within the first two minutes of the movie, I was just like eyes wide like kind of almost a hand over my mouth like oh no yeah it's it's like really horrible and the thing about it is it really pisses me off because this movie is legitimately funny a lot of times first kiss me sam i don't kiss just this one sam i don't like kissing now leave me alone 
Mm-hmm. And some of the jokes are are the Sidney Wang's characters who are le- it's a legitimately funny joke that they that they wrote for him. Mm-hmm. But the jokes ruined because they decided to do this like racist, really yeah off color like horribly caricature of a Chinese American person. One thing I noticed because I have this this is going to seem like a tangent, but my roommates introduced me to the Pink Panther movies recently, which star Peter Sellers and Dave McNiven who plays Dick Charleston. And in this movie, it's basically the same people who made Pink Panther made this movie. Yeah. With like the writing, directing, that kind of stuff. Like a lot of the people who are involved with this creatively were, worked on the Pink Panther films as well, which I can tell with a lot of the physical humor. Yeah. And that kind of like it, it really just screamed Pink Panther, but with detectives, whatever. And which is wild that they didn't have him play a version of Clouseau. Right. I mean, he's like a movie detective. I don't know if they're based off a book, the Pink Panther films or not, but it was just like, why, why do you have one of the actors who plays one of the most famous detectives in cinema, not playing a caricature of that guy? Because they wanted to do a different French detective, I guess. That wasn't very funny. I'm not a Frenchie. I'm a Belgian. Uh, I'm sorry. He's Belgian. We are of course referring to Perrier, who is a playoff of Hercule Poirot. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is that they just wanted to do um, more uh, written detectives. I think because there's a whole yeah. there's a whole plot point towards the end of the movie. It's like, oh, I bested you. Now no one will buy your. Uh, uh. I do legitimately love Twain, who is played by Truman Capote. Just basically calling each of them out for their bullshit mystery tropes. Yeah, you tricked and fooled your readers for years. You've tortured us all with surprise endings that made no sense. You've introduced characters in the last five pages that were never in the book before. You've withheld clues and information that made it impossible for us to guess who did it. But now, the tables are turned. My favorite one is like, holding back information that is very relevant to the the, 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 the mystery that is going on. Why did you do that? So a, a lot of people I saw online were comparing this with Clue, which is the natural, as Maya uh, kind of said, it's like a proto-Clue. Yeah. Uh, did you prefer this for over Clue, or do you think Clue was the better? It's sort of apples to oranges, but the, the, there's so much shared DNA that... Yeah, um, especially the opening. Mm-hmm. Clue, like, definitely... Had, the makers of Clue definitely had seen this movie because there's a lot of the opening that is like almost shot mm-hmm. for shot, like like that's the opening from Clue. Um, mm-hmm. It it's a because there's like obviously we talked about very problematic things in this movie. Yeah, I do find this movie pretty funny um, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like they, I think some of like the um, kind of quippy humor and like physical gags mm-hmm. are pretty good. I've seen Clue so many times, so like right now, like the humor is sort of like it's still there, but it's kind right. of like stale for me. And where this is like yeah. the first time I saw this movie, so it's hard to say. I think I like Clue a little bit more, um, but it also has that mm-hmm. nostalgia thing for me. So there is sure. my uh, very uh, ambiguous <laughs> answer. I think I'm on the side of Clue as well, only because it because it was based off a board game mm-hmm. that doesn't really have like a plot that could kind of do whatever. Whereas Murder by Death was a mystery, so they had to keep things kind of moving in that direction. But it really was a lot of people kind of standing around, and then two of them would go away for a little bit, and then two of them would come back. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't there was it just felt kind of slow in places, just because it was like we're all we're all in the dining room now. We'll go to the kitchen. 
Okay, we're back from the kitchen. Okay, now we'll go over well, here. Okay, now we're back. And then it was over. And it just is. I think that it, it's kind of, it's pretty clear they only had a few sets for this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm pretty sure where Clue has, like, a whole house, like, the whole set piece. The yeah. whole house is a set piece rather than, like, oh, the dining room, the lounge, and mm-hmm. the bathroom. Um, like, that's basically where this whole movie takes place. So, yeah, I think the 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 world of Clue, like the house, is just a, a character of itself a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. um, but, yeah, that's my, my take on that. Well, with a few caveats, you like this movie. And with an equal number of caveats, I like this movie. Yeah. Uh, but it may surprise you to learn, some people didn't like this movie. That's right, gang. We're going back to the patch for Daddy's Tomatoes. Oh, it's been so long. I'm going to take a ripe, juicy one off the ground here. <laughs> That's how I eat tomatoes. Because I don't like tomatoes. I, I don't like... I, I, I bit into one and I didn't like it because I don't like tomatoes. Well, this first review does come from Christopher C., who gave it four stars. They just missed out on five for one very pressing reason. Death by murder, to be grammatically correct. End of review. Wow. There's a lot of reasons to not give this like to denounce this movie of stars or to take stars away i think the title isn't one of them <laughs> well jesse f who obviously must be jesse fleming yeah i was about to say previously yeah did give this five stars and she has to say if you like the clue movie you will have an orgasm whilst watching this one every cast member besides capote is truly irreplaceable in this possibly the farciest farce i have ever had the pleasure of viewing I'd say 99% of the dialogue is funny. Every sentence has a joke in it. Maggie Smith is super sexy as well. Also, check out Mrs. Withers. <laughs> End of review. Mrs. Withers being the ancient nurse of Jessica Marbles, the Miss Marple type character. Yeah, where she's fingering Columbo's hand very centrally. <laughs> That's not me making a joke. That happens in the movie. Stop that. Stop it, I said. What is it, Diamond? The nurse has given my palm to finger the dirty old broad. <laughs> Mrs. Marbles fucking <laughs> nailed it in this movie, by the way. Uh, every single one of her uh-huh. lines is, is pretty fucking good. And I mean, I, I can't argue with Jesse F. Because, I mean, me and everyone else in the room orgasmed while watching the movie at least three times. So, <laughs> But uh, yeah, Maggie Smith nailed it in this too. Like, I think she... Uh, I think she was really funny. I I think uh, particularly the part where she got stung by the uh, scorpion. Very good, Mr. Charleston. But how did you know? The bill in the dead butler's hand, stating that the entire weekend had been catered. Only an accountant would have held on to a thing like that. Dickie, get the money and let's go. Yeah, no, sorry. Goldman was killed last month while skiing. He jumped 200 feet into a low-flying plane. Dickie, I can't wait much longer. You've not lost your touch, Mr. Charleston. But how did you elude the deadly scorpion? Oh, we didn't. He stung Dora. We have 15 minutes to get to the doctor. Could you explain later, Dickie? We'll make it, darling. Never fear. 
and she's like we really need to go like i'm gonna die in like 15 minutes <laughs> yeah she was very funny i kind of didn't care for her or david niven's performance only because they're based off nick and nora charles from the thin man novels and mm-hmm. as a fan of the thin man films like a big fan of all those films it wasn't quite as like in the movie they're just very snappy drunks who is she Oh, darling, I was hoping I wouldn't have to answer that. Come on. Well, Dorothy is really my daughter. You see, it was spring in Venice. When I was so young, I didn't know what I was doing. We're all like that on my father's side. By the way, how is your father's side? Oh, it's much better, thanks. And yours? Say, how many drinks have you had? This will make six martinis. All right. Will you bring me five more martinis? Leo, line them right up here. Yes, ma'am. me the last martini how about a little pick-me-up and there wasn't a lot of that in this i i and i haven't read the novels the thin man so i could be off on this like maybe in the, in the books they're probably less like that but i just was kind of wanting a little bit more snappy yeah drunk like like back and forth yeah from them like they were still great but like as a fan of the characters nick and nora charles who uh, Dick and Dora Charleston were based off of. I kind of was like, ah, yeah, but... That's fair, yeah. Not, not what I wanted. Yeah, they're more like, oh, we're rich and eccentric. Like, yeah, it was more yuppie than... Yeah, than drunk. Than yeah. rich drunks. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So that was the last review. Uh, I do want to shout out one other reviewer who didn't make the cut, but has the fanciest Rotten Tomatoes name I've ever seen, and that is Mr. Andre Locust N. Ooh. Just a really fancy, cool name that I wanted to shout out here at the end of this edition. Mr. Andre Locust, if you want to be a guest on The Equalizers, you have an open invitation anytime. You can pretty much call us and say, hey, I'm ready to record an episode today, and we'll hop on. We'll get it done. You can just text Mike, you up? (laughs) He's not the only one. Speaking of, Mike, are you ready to get wet? (sighs) I am prepared to engage in Madison's liquids. That's not better. Yeah, yeah, not not better. Anyway, cue the music. Mm, yeah. I'm not looking forward to drinking this one today. I've never mm-hmm. drank this particular liquid by itself. So I'm giving you some free clues. Okay, well then, I'd like to immediately use my lifeline to have you chug this drink. Okay. For the listener, Madison has found a cup that is not see-through so that they can do that while I'm watching. The worst thing about that, that it was uh, boiling hot, so my insides are done. <laughs> uh, so let's, 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 let's power through this. All right, so first question, would you classify this liquid as the one that got away? I, I have found it again, so no. Does drinking this liquid make you feel... Like an empty cauldron of pain. A little bit. I didn't really enjoy it, so yes. Would you say an apt name for this liquid is loneliness fuel? Um, there's a uh, there's a particular uh, trend going on with this particular liquid. Um, hint, hint. Um, so I'm going to say no, because I think a lot of people are, are about this. Would you describe the mouthfeel as whoa? No, I wouldn't. Is it watery hummus? It is not watery hummus. Okay. The trending uh, <laughs> uh, fad right now, watery hummus. Hashtag watery hummus. <laughs> Close your eyes. Okay. Picture a wave in the ocean. All right. You can see it. Mm-hmm. Measure it. its height. The way the sunlight refracts when passes through. Okay. And it's there. And you can see it. You know what it is. It's a wave. Mm-hmm. 
and then it crashes into the shore and it's gone, but the water is still there. The wave was just a different way for the water to be for a little while. You know it's one conception of death for Buddhists. The wave returns to the ocean, where it came from, where it's supposed to be. Is it root beer? It is not root beer. Damn it! But I am crying. <laughs> Do you feel like this liquid is silently gaining strength from your insecurities? I think so, because I keep buying it. <laughs> okay. Does this liquid fill the hole in your soul? No. It's too big to fill. And lastly, could this liquid fill the hole in my soul and finally make me feel complete? If you open up yourself to it. I say that I only, I know about my hole, and I know it's no. I'm not sure about your mm-hmm. hole. Every, I get it. Everyone knows what's going to fill their hole. Everyone yeah. knows what's big enough to fill their hole. I get it. Exactly. Um, apropos of that, I would like now a picture a picture clue okay. for this liquid. I'm not going to call anyone with this because there's absolutely no way any of this will be useful to them. I also have absolutely no idea what trend you're talking about, so that's I don't actually have an idea. Sending you my vague clue now. God damn it. Uh, for the listener... It is an image of the character Chucky Finster from Rugrats screaming. Yes. So, what what can you uh, what can you gain from a scared Chucky Finster? Think of the things Chucky Finster was afraid of. Like I know I know it. Yeah. That's everything. There's some specific things like a very. I know, and I'm trying to remember. Ugh. I was a huge Rugrats fan. Madison is doing this, I think, to punish me for announcing that Rugrats was the best Nickelodeon show of all time, and then not to at it's me. Fine. Which very few people honored the system of don't at me. Yeah, um, it, it, clearly all that, right, everybody? Clearly all no. that. No, no, Were you drinking milk? Think a little harder about Chucky Finster and the things no. he was scared of. And that it... Oh, clown milk. That- <laughs> Is your answer clown milk? Yes, my final answer is clown milk. Okay. I'm sorry, you didn't get wet today. You actually got half wet. It is... It, I, I, I'm moist. You're, you're moist. You're a little moist today. It was oat milk. As every, as as diehard uh, Rugrats fans that were... Uh, Mike is clearly not. Um, uh, Chucky Finster was deathly afraid of the guy on the oatmeal box. Mm-hmm oatmeal milk he's a baby clearly i was drinking oat milk how did you not get that from my very vague clue i'm sorry hold on i still don't see a connection could you explain it more in depth for me yeah so chucky is a baby he was afraid of the guy on the oatmeal box which is a, a parody of quaker oats the the what was that character's name um it was the guy on the oatmeal box that's that was the mascot's name I think he's a Quaker. He is a Quaker, and those are his oats. Okay. So, oats, oats, okay. oat milk. That's where he lost me. Can you explain that part more in depth? Sure. Um, through some uh, process of alchemy and uh, technology, um, oat milk uh-huh. is able to be made for, by taking Quaker oats and throwing them into a Lazarus pit. <laughs> and then they, then, they drain, okay. then they drain it. And then the residue on the bottom of the of the Lazarus pit is the oat milk, uh-huh. <laughs> and then and then people drink it with their cereal. 
Oh no no no! You're fine. You're fine. I totally understand now. Like that was you should have just led with that. Yeah, I I forget that every single time I have to explain something to you, I have to um I have to include some um aspect of the uh, Batman universe for you to completely understand. Yeah, it's like that time I asked you to explain Long Division to me, and you had to cobble in Clayface's origin story. Like, yeah, Jesus. Okay. And you're also wearing a Batman shirt today, which I did not know. Which is oh yeah, great. I am the terror that flaps in the night and all that. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, now that you're now that you're properly moist, <laughs> that's almost worse somehow. Yeah. Now that you're properly moist, I think it's time for us to move <clears throat> on to our pitch yes. for Murder by Death Two. All right, let me go ahead and get a timer set up here real quick, and then we can start. Okay, so our time starts now. All right, so do you have any ideas for this? I think I have one. In 1976, five of the most famous detectives in the world converged on the home of eccentric millionaire Lionel Twain for a weekend retreat. When they emerged the next day, none of them would speak of their time in Tutu Twain. What happened that night? How many rubber masks can one person wear? Why would Peter Sellers do this? Is there a mystery so big that not even the world's five greatest detectives and their assistants could solve? From Demlet Media, I'm team sleuth Tracy Wiz. This is Cluescast. In 1941, a young eccentric millionaire began constructing a mansion. No one in the area had heard of Lionel Twain before, and many of them would not hear of him after. It's unclear where his money came from, but he certainly had plenty of it. The plot encompassed 51 acres of prime spooky country real estate and included a rickety bridge and derelict phone booth. This man and his compound had all the set pieces for something sinister, to be sure. But to everyone's surprise, nothing happened at Tutu Twain for 33 years. Like Willy Wonka's mysterious London factory, no one ever went in and no one ever came out. The only exception to this rule was his genial butler, the blind James Sir Benson Mum, who could be seen pottering about town trying very hard to buy groceries in the local cinema. So what was it that made Lionel Twain break his nearly 40 years of seclusion and invite the five greatest detective minds of the age for dinner? Before we can answer that, we need to meet the detectives themselves. Unfortunately, they are all dead or in prison. These minds were, of course, the famous French, sorry, Belgian, detective Milo Perrier and his actually French chauffeur, Marcel. Socialites Dick and Dora Charleston, famous for their keen detective work amongst the world's high society and their disdain of high sobriety. Tough as nails gumshoe Sam Diamond whose hard-boiled investigation tactics put fear into the hearts of criminals and police alike for $50 a day. His secretary, Tess Skeffington, was also present. International busybody, Jessica Marbles, and her loyal nurse, Miss Withers. Together, they'd solved many of Europe's most befuddling mysteries. And of course, Sidney Wang and his adopted son, Willie. I think we all agree, the less said about Sidney Wang, the better. This is our cast of characters. These are the players in what this sleuth believes to have been a great drama, a game of cat and chocolate moose. Victims become culprits, culprits become victims, people become other people, all for the sick pleasure of one Lionel Twain. The detectives were there. This is a historical fact. To find the truth about what happened, we need to look outside the bounds of Tutu Twain. 
our research intern, Dean Kuntz, discovered an interesting fact. In the weeks leading up to that fateful party, several rubber masks and bodysuits were ordered to be delivered to Tutu Twain shortly before the dinner party. What could someone need with so many masks and suits? We needed an expert on this matter, so I contacted XX Improbable Task Unit Agent Anthony Huntington. Uh, yeah, based on the amount of suits, there are a couple options. Likely the answer is this was intended for a group of people. Camouflaging operatives to blend in amongst security guards while you bug the communications relays at the Svalbard Global Siege Vault so anthrax corn doesn't become a thing. Fascinating. Do you think Twain was some sort of terrorist? Possibly, possibly. More likely it was a complicated scheme to throw off his guests so they wouldn't know who was actually hosting the dinner. Why would someone do that? In my experience, it's because you intend to commit a, a very convoluted crime, or at least make it seem like you have. Couldn't it be that Twain ordered these disguises for his guests to wear as well? Uh, not possible. According to the shipping manifest, these suits and masks were all the same size and fit, and were specifically made for a single body type. He was right. According to the item report, every costume was for someone who was roughly 4 foot 11. The measurements included also strongly suggest they were female. Does this cast suspicion on Mrs. Charleston or Tess Effington? The answer is no. Mrs. Charleston was famously 5 foot 5 and Tess was 5 foot 6. This tells us there was another woman there that night, a mystery with no name. It was the cook, Yetta. Couldn't wire her jaw or wiggle her ears, apparently. This is Dickie Jr., the only surviving member of the Charleston family that we could secure for an interview. Their daughter, Dickie Jr., that's her name. Since the events of 1976, each of the detectives has passed on or become incarcerated. The Charleston succumbed to liver failure brought on by a bottle of particularly potent bathtub absinthe. Jessica Marbles passed of old age, being survived to this day by her devoted nurse, Miss Withers. Sidney Wang was justifiably murdered by his adopted son, Willie. He was never brought to trial. Sam Diamond died in 2009 of natural causes. Milo Perrier is currently serving a life sentence in a French prison for undisclosed crimes against wine. Lionel Twain and his butler have not been seen since that night. No one in Sidney Wang's family would agree to speak about him on the record or have their names tied to acknowledging him. So the burden falls to Dickie Jr., the only remaining person with any link to these detectives, to tell their story. She wasn't even a real person. One of them plastic dummies that Twain made walk and talk. Well, walk. And you're sure she was four foot eleven? You think I don't know how tall my roommate is? Your roommate? Dickie Jr. then showed me what she meant. I followed her to her back room and found a mannequin, about four foot eleven, with red hair. The parentals weren't going to leave 2220 empty-handed, no matter what. Dad five-finger discounted the mannequin case on the way out. What did they want it for? Did it help them in their detective activities? Did they think they could sell it? Rumor has it that Charles was hard up for money at the time. How old are you again? Fifteen. Eh, uh, older than I was when I found out what they wanted it for. So basically they and then they put it on the dresser and and an upside-down hockey mask he until they ran out of champagne and other fluid. Ew. Worst birthday of my life. Some inheritance. Inheritance? What about the money? It was all that was left. They dropped every last dime on booze and sack toys. Sam's really the one who kept chow in my mouth. And on 50 bucks a day, no less. At least until he got a bad case of the bullets. You and Sam Diamond were close? Like a second father. First, really, because Big Dickie wasn't worth more than a drink of gin with a twist of lime. A booth hound, what forgot how to hunt. Is that why you talk like him? It was this, or I could keep that silver spoon accent. 
Ain't no spoon ever done a damn thing for me. And sure as hell not on only 50 bucks a day. Tell me about his death. Sam's, that is. You've maintained he was murdered, even though it's been ruled natural causes. He was shot six times. Allegedly. No, allegedly he was shot seven times. But I counted six lead snake bites when I found him on the couch. It's all a cover-up by someone who didn't want Sam around anymore with enough folding green to bribe the right people. This mystery was building more and more. First, a no-named woman, and now a murder conspiracy? Who would have wanted him dead? So this is Sam's apartment? Yeah, this is where he did some of his best thinking, and it's only dying. See the bullet holes there on the couch. Oh wow, no one's come to clean this up? He left it all to Miss Effington. She's the only one who can legally have this stuff thrown out. So why doesn't she? She died two years before Sam did. He just never noticed because, well, he was kind of an asshole. I love the guy, but he never seemed to be able to look a woman in the eyes. Or at them in general. He hated kissing. Did you know that? I did not know that, and it doesn't seem germane. Kissing is more germane than not. You know how much bacteria is on lips? Let's move on. I've been keeping it clean while I investigate. This is a crime scene, after all. Allegedly. So a lot of this is untouched since he died? I ain't touched a hair on anything. So, like, that moldy is what he was eating when he died? Yep. Same as it was the last day he filled his lungs with something other than lead. Actually, can you nix where you said what he was eating? I'm keeping it out of the press, so the only other person who knows is the murderer. Alleged murderer. You want to see his files or not? ASAP, please. That moldy smell is ghastly. They're right over there. Pass the bucket. Be careful not to tip it. There's no plumbing in here, and I drink a lot of coffee. I perused Sam's old case file and learned he'd been investigating Hannah Flint. That's right. That Hannah Flint. Hannah Flint? Yep, the romance novelist. Why was Sam interested in a multi-award-winning romance novelist? Exactly. She must be the one who did it. For those who are unfamiliar, Hannah Flint rose to prominence in the early 1980s selling her Harlequin romance novels all featuring a cover with a half-clad paramour that looked more like Fabius than Joe America. 54 novels and 8 romancy awards later, Hannah Flint was a titan in the publishing world and a respected figure in the community. Unfortunately, she passed in 2015 after falling off a horse while making love. Her son Nigel continues in her honor to publish his own romance books, such as Dearest Joe, The Notepad, and A Jog to Forget, all of which have been optioned by Hollywood, earning Nigel a small fortune as well as literary acclaim. One other thing, she was a relatively short woman with red hair, much like Dickie Jr.'s inherited sex doll roommate. We spoke with Nigel about his mother's possible involvement. Mommy was pure heart. All she ever wanted to do was give comfort and reignite the fires of the Lloyds of other Bobbies everywhere. Did you know Sam Diamond was investigating her? The man who always had to pee and had some pretty problematic opinions on homosexuality. Yes, he wasn't subtle. We're investigating the mystery of Tutu Twain. Do you know if your mother was there that night? Mummy, with those nasty sleuths and charlatans? She would never. When was that? 1976? Mummy hadn't even published her first beggar yet. This was true. Hannah Flint didn't reach literary fame until six years later with her first novel, The Loins Akimbo. She not only knew them, she was there. And she bragged about it in every one of her bestsellers. In the Belgian retreat, there's a whole paragraph where the protagonist has to chase off two drunk dogs that are chewing on a mannequin leg. In The Marble Goddess, the main character is adopted by the owner of an Asian restaurant. In Love in Charleston, the neighbor falls in love with her senior citizen nurse. And Diamonds are a girl's best friend, the love interest is a French chauffeur. And then there's Who's Afraid of Sidney Wayne. 
That last one does seem kind of sus- The main male lover of the title character has used the bathroom throughout the entire book. Dickie Jr. was right. These nods in all of her novels do seem pretty odd. Ambiguous, but odd. I decided to prod Nigel about these likely coincidental parallels. No, no, quite impossible. I doubt she even knew them. Does this change your opinion on why Sam Diamond would have been investigating your mother? Who knows why Sam Diamond did anything he did? It was typically for $50 a day. The man was a lunatic. I mean, he was eating hot dogs out of a coffee can when he died for Christ's sakes. What did you just say? I know, I mean, just why? There were coffee grounds down there too, just weird. I need to make a phone call. The call was to the police. Nigel Flint was arrested three days later for the murder of Sam Diamond. He'd discovered Sam was investigating his mother and feared if the public found out his Hollywood options would dry up. So late one night, he broke into Sam's apartment and shot him dead. My revelation that Sam had been killed in cold blood rocked the world who still believed he'd died of natural causes after suffering six bullet wounds. Nigel Flint is currently awaiting trial. When I started this investigation of Tutu Twain, I never thought it would lead to solving a decade-long murder mystery single-handedly. But when you're a world-famous teen sleuth, these things just sort of tend to happen. How do you feel now, knowing Sam was murdered? I was literally telling people that since Adam invented the wheel, and no one listened to me. Then some tween-age dick comes in, and suddenly people turn their ears on. I know this one. Dick means detective. Not this time, Dick. Dickie Jr. was happy to hear that this had finally been put to bed. Justice had been served. Having solved the mystery I didn't intend to, it was time to focus back on the one I set out to expose. One question still remained, however. Was Hannah Flint there that night at 2-2 Twain? If so, why? Well, Dickie Jr. has some theories on that. It was all about the books. Big romance just couldn't compete with the mystery and detective genre. She had to bump off the competition, so to speak, and make great detectives like Diamond, Marvel, Perrier, and my parents, Scheister. How? By making fools of them and topping all that brain power. They lost confidence. Their books started to suck hard. Readers lost interest, making way for her steamy shtup fantasies to capture the heart of millions. Was it true? Did Hannah Flint scheme her way to the top of the literary world? Did the fear of losing all that fame and success lead to Sam Diamond's death and the imprisonment of her only son? It's hard to say, as the seeming references in her novels to the great detectives are circumstantial at best. It also bears noting that 1976 was the beginning of what many call the decline of the detective genre and the rise of romance. Again, circumstantial. There is one thing we cannot deny, however. The sex doll, rather, the mannequin that both resembles Flint and Yetta that Dickie inherited was there. We have the rubber masks and suits that seem tailored to fit a woman of 4'11", which is the height of Hannah Flint. Together, this paints a picture of a woman who went to great lengths to ensure her own success, and, ultimately, no actual crime was committed. Or was there? Lionel Twain and James Sir Benson Mum have never been heard from since that night. Were they killed? Did they ever exist in the first place? We may never know. What we do know is that on a dark weekend night in 1976, five of the greatest detectives entered Tutu Twain, and none of them left unscathed. I want to thank you for listening to Cluescast. If you're interested in more of Vimlet's true crime podcasts, check out our other podcasts like Let the Body Hit the Floor, where my good friends the Railway Kids get to the bottom of a CIA sting at a mysterious dinner party at the pristine Body Manor. I'm Tracy Wiz. Always be investigating, Wiz Kids. 
So yeah, did I do it? I think it's pretty good. I mean, it had voices, it had characters, it had an arc. Yeah, yeah, and you know, like, uh, my voice is kind of hoarse uh, right now, and I think... That- yeah, I mean, I had to call in our friends the last time we had voice work. I had to call in multiple people to play the parts, and you just... I know, I'm, yeah. I can't believe it. Yeah. Uh, I think everyone questions what I bring to the table, and um, that that was it. <laughs> I will say, you did get a lot of yeah, information you know, in there, Rob. Um, I've, uh, I rewatched Murder by Death just before we recorded this, and... A lot of the Lionel Twain stuff, they do actually talk about his history. But I mean, you know, Wiz is a teen sleuth. She didn't do the level of research that Tess Skeffington did. Yeah. Well, I think you did it. I mean, I don't even... I had I had a page of ideas, but honestly, I, I think you did it. I also want to give a special thanks to Avengers Kylie Neal and Jackson Eflin for no particular reason. Likewise, my roommate, Corey Adderson, and my sister, Megan Knoll. Again, no particular reason. All right. So, with that out of the way, Madison, what are we doing next time? The next adventure is we're going to do holes. We're going to get the LaBeouf premiere, Um, and we're going to dig it. So, for the Equalizers, I'm Madison Jones. I'm Mike Knoll. If only, if only the woodpecker sighs, the bark on the trees was as soft as the skies. As the wolf waits below, hungry and lonely, he cries to the moon, if only, if only. To be continued. You got to go and dig those holes. Man, I'm tired. With broken hands and withered souls, emancipated from all you know.